Welcome to this uh, fourth uh, lecture in uh, a series on natural capital. This one is about natural capital accounting and it's not a topic accounting that many environmentalists spend much time upon and indeed if you look throughout the uh, environmental literature you'll find very little about accounts. This is a mistake. Accounting is absolutely of the essence of the approach to natural capital and without proper accounting there's pretty little chance that we're really going to uh, hold the line for our natural capital and our environment let alone enhance it. So the first thing to sort out in accounting is you know what's the question to which a set of accounts are supposed to be the answer and you know for those unfamiliar with accounting it might seem pretty obvious uh, they're just about accounts but actually uh, accounts answer very different kinds of questions. So conventional accounting has developed for two reasons. One is for the owners of companies and the managers to understand whether the day-to-day -day business is in good shape and how much profit it's making. And the second reason, and that's actually driven a lot of accounting development, is uh, to work out how much tax you owe. So you can't work out what uh, taxation needs to be paid until you can work out what your income is and your profits. And since the different bits of a company's uh, income and profits are taxed in different ways, you need to sort out each of those categories. And indeed, there's a whole industry in so-called creative accounting, which is really about manipulating the numbers to minimise the tax bill that emerges at the end or minimise the numbers so that investors uh, gullible investor, investors might put their money into things they otherwise wouldn't have done. Think Enron for fraud. Think um, uh, about uh, the capitalization of income, pretending that current costs are really capital costs in order to benefit from the difference um, between the taxation of both. So accounting isn't neutral. It isn't some kind of objective activity and any set of accounts follow the same principles and are prepared for the same reason. Nothing like that. So when it comes to natural capital, you need to be pretty clear what the question is to which you want natural capital accounts to be the answer. And the question really is, um, are we protecting and properly looking after the natural capital assets we've got? And are we enhancing them to improve the sustainable return to our society, our economy, uh, from having better natural capital than we have at the moment. And as soon as you see that like that, you realise that the only way to properly work out whether in fact the British government is keeping to its pledge to leave the natural environment in a better state for future generations is to have a set of accounts about the assets, the right set of accounts about the assets, and their state uh, and their maintenance and their enhancement. So if you thought, well, I might skip this lecture because, you know, I want to get on to the policy bits, this actually is core to anything and everything that we think about a natural capital policy. So what I want to do is take you down the road, the path of, of accounting. And in taking you down that path, I want to start off with what existing 
and typically what's called historic cost account do and what they don't do and explain why they are particularly inappropriate for thinking about natural capital. And then I want to lead you to current cost accounting about assets in perpetuity and explain why that's the right way to think about these uh, issues. That will lead me to something called modern equivalent asset values uh, and that's about prices and valuation etc. And then I'll take you through to uh, capital maintenance, the balance sheets and then how to implement natural capital uh, accounting in businesses, government and so on. So that's my path. Let's start with the accounts that you can look up for virtually any business in this country. And those accounts are based on what's called historic cost accounting. And what historic cost accounting does is to say the costs of the uh, activities of these businesses and their assets or whatever they paid for them at the uh, time that they bought them. So if you bought an asset in 1980 for a thousand pounds, then it's a thousand pounds that goes into the balance sheet and into the profit and loss accounts. Um, now, you might think, well, okay, that's what we paid. Let's put those numbers uh, into the books and work out what comes out the other end. But let me give you an example just to uh, explain to you uh, one of the pitfalls of thinking about the world in that way. In my Oxford College, some time ago, and I hasten to say not now, it used to be possible to purchase uh, wines, ports and so on from the college sellers, at whatever the college paid for them. And when I first started out uh, in Oxford, I discovered in my Oxford College that I could acquire a bottle of 1930s port for the purchase price, which was, let's say, two and six. Uh, and you immediately realise that that's an absurd number to say that that was the value of the bottle of port. If you went along to try and buy that bottle in the open market today, you'd pay probably thousands of pounds. And from the point of view of the accounts for the college at the time, how could it possibly be the case that we ignored this enormous value in the sellers? And indeed, some colleges uh, uh, found themselves needing to raise money um, right back there when I started out and indeed sold off part of their wine stocks, not at the historic cost, but at the market value. So the first problem is inflation. And for most of the uh, last 50, 60 years, inflation has been, quote, a problem. Uh, we've had in the 1970s inflation of 25% per annum for a couple of years, followed by three years of 10% inflation. So in a world of inflation, Historic cost accounts don't make really make much sense. Um, now, we haven't had so much inflation recently, but just if you tick along at 2 to 3% inflation per annum, within a generation, the value uh, of an asset can halve, or put it the other way around, to work out what the asset is worth going forward is to double its price. So this is the first way in which historic cost accounting goes wrong. But the second way is that it basically treats assets of a company as if you like having fixed or limited or temporary lives. So the way in which the profit and loss is driven is to say let's depreciate the asset in the accounts over time and assume that it's worth less 
each year that you have it. So if I buy a car uh, as a company and I put it into my accounts at say £20,000, um, I will assume that in a year's time 25% of the value is gone, so I'll depreciate it by 25%. And that essential depreciation is paying me back the money I put into the business. And that makes a lot of sense when you've got IT equipment, cars and so on, which really do depreciate really rather quickly. And if you spend the money on them, you need to make sure that you're getting your money back through time. Now, again, that's all right for those kinds of assets. But when we move across to say, how do you account for things like natural capital in that framework? And how do you account for assets which don't depreciate or can't be allowed to depreciate, then that kind of historic cost account approach is, uh, gives you uh, effectively nonsense answers. They're just not interesting answers. And this is where we move from historic cost accounting, how most accounts are done. If you've got a farm, that's how your machinery and equipment will go into the accounts. And we move across in natural capital to the broader concept of current cost accounts. Now, current cost, by their very name, are the opposite of historic costs. It doesn't matter what you paid for the asset when you bought it, my bottle of port back in the 1930s. What matters is what its market price today is, what it's worth, what its current cost would be if you bought that asset now as opposed to when you bought it. And this is peculiarly relevant, not just for handling the inflation problem, but handling the depreciation problem, or as I put it, the absence of the depreciation um, and its relevance. So how so? Well, what current cost accounts do is essentially say, we will uh, take account of inflation and we will apply these ideas to assets which we assume we need in perpetuity. These are assets we're always going to want and therefore we do not want them to depreciate and that may, uh, means that we have to do uh, several things. First of all, we have to make sure that those assets are properly maintained, that they can go on yielding their benefits forever. And secondly, we have to make sure that we adjust those assets for the changing times and the changing prices in the economy. And that's essentially about doing two things. One is about establishing what the modern equivalent assets are to deliver the services that you want. And secondly, it's about providing that capital maintenance. And this turns out to be really, really important in how we incorporate natural capital into the normal business world and to the normal national accounts. So um, let's start with the modern equivalent asset and the asset value. So if you look at things like uh, where assets in perpetuity and current costs are applied, things like the water industry or the rail industry, what we're effectively doing in both of those cases is to say that we want a provision of clean water and um, we need our sewage cleaned up in perpetuity. We're always going to need that for the next hundred years at least. Okay? And in the railways case, we're basically always going to need the railway lines and to provide the railway services um, and we're going to need those for the next hundred years or whatever. 
Now, if that's the case, it doesn't necessarily follow that you need the existing assets to provide those water and sewage services and the existing assets exactly as they are to provide those rail services. So in the case of railways, um, going forward, we may have different kinds of track. We may have different kinds of trains. We may have electrified trains. We may have smart trains. We may have smart metering down our system. We might have smart signaling. We might have smart data. We might have smart dis 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 dispatch. You know, we might even be able to use smart technologies to have ticketless rail, rail travel. Just imagine what an innovation it would be, you know, in Britain to finally get to a point where you could actually go on a train just using your iPhone and not using um, a ticket you have to queue at the uh, uh, um, uh, train entrance to buy. So it's pretty clear that what really is the asset in perpetuity in railways is the service. The service of getting people from fixed points to other fixed points down something we currently call a railway line. And all the other is a variable. So the set of assets, their modern equivalent assets that we need to deliver that service, are not necessarily going to be the same in 50 years' time as they are now. The service is in perpetuity, but not the particular configuration of assets. And that's also true when we come to water. So you might say, well, you know, we need water in perpetuity, so we need water treatment works in perpetuity and we need sewage works in perpetuity. Well, not necessarily. For example, we might do natural capital management of catchments. We might uh, plant trees, allow rivers to uh, 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 meander. We might limit pollution going into the river so that what we actually need to do in cleaning up the water is rather different than what we have to do now, where we have to get rid of all those slug pellet chemicals, the neonics, the glyphosate, the fertilizers, all the other pesticides and herbicides that we need to deal with. We may not need to do that in the future if we do it at source. And similarly with sewage, you know, you can treat sewage in integrated sewage works which put all the different forms of polluted water into one place and require a physical capital piece of equipment to sort it out. Or you can have reed beds, you can treat sewage at source, you could do stuff in the household and so on and so forth. So in both these cases, the modern equivalent assets in water and in rail, these two uh, examples of assets in perpetuity, the services may require different capital configurations and indeed if you really want to improve the natural environment a lot of these core physical infrastructures will need different configurations of assets to get to the right answer providing the service we need. So thinking hard about the modern equivalent assets is not just some sort of desktop top activity it's really thinking through the future technologies the future natural capital opportunities and then feeding them through into the railway accounts and feeding them through in the water accounts. Now, move one stage further and go and think about natural capital in perpetuity. Here, we want those assets to remain pretty much as they are or enhanced through time. There aren't different ways of providing swallows in the future. There aren't different ways of providing water meadows in the future, uh, wildflower meadows and so on. When I say different ways, different plant and species are ways of doing it. Of course, we may want to manage the soil and the land differently to produce those particular outcomes. 
So here, there's not so much adjustment, and the modern equivalent asset for a species in the future may be very like it is today. But this is the way we have to do it. Now, most assets don't just look after themselves, including natural assets. Almost all of our natural assets are, in fact, managed assets. Human beings constantly modify the environment. For example, the sets of species we have in Britain today is not the set of species we might have had when Britain was joined to the European continent 8,000 years ago uh, and before um, man cleared most of the uh, uh, woodlands and forests off our landscape. The dry stones walls, the hedges, the hedgerows, the patchwork quilt of fields, all of this stuff is man-made. It's natural capital. It keeps on renewing itself for free, provided, however, we maintain it so it can do that. So in order for us to ensure that the rot stops in our natural capital, and indeed think about enhancements, we have to provide maintenance expenditure. Now, here's the critical accounting difference. In historic cost accounting, in the conventional way, we don't maintain capital, we depreciate it, we use it up. In current cost accounting, with assets in perpetuity, we have to provide for that maintenance. And we have to take it as an operating cost on the business. You can't simply let the soils deteriorate, depreciate them, and then treat your business as if it's sustaining itself properly through time. You have to take a current cost a cost of your operating business to make sure that you make good the damage you do through time. And indeed, when we come on to it, net environmental benefit is basically a form of capital maintenance too. Now, this has radical consequences. If you take the sets of accounts for most of the companies in Britain, and if you take the national income accounts and you subtract from the so-called profits of these businesses, the cost of maintaining their natural capital intact, profits will be declared as significantly lower than they currently are. It's just a way of explaining that we're living substantially beyond our means. We are not looking after our natural capital properly. We're not being good stewards of our assets and we're not bequeathing to the next generation what we should do if we want to give them at least as good a chance as we've got. And that's because we don't do the accounts properly and not doing the accounts properly enables us to pretend we're better off than we actually are. And that's what the deficit is. It's what I call the pothole economy problem. We pretend that local governments and, and um, Department of Transport is meeting its budget or its budgets in the case of uh, local government. But actually it's not because it's not mending the holes in the road and it's simply storing up a lot of a lot of problems for, for later. So next time your car tire hits a pothole, that's an example of bad accounting and not providing proper capital maintenance through time. And the consequences are obvious. You may spend some time trying to get your wheel fixed and paying for the damage and trying to uh, get compensation from your local authority for what they've done. And you may find your council tax bills and your national tax goes up in a few years time when the crisis on the roads leads to a big splurge of expenditure to make good the damage that's been caused. So that's capital maintenance and modern equivalent assets. This all then has to come together into a balance sheet and uh, most people looking at accounts worry about profit and loss. 
and you can really think about the government's budget as being a profit and loss cash number what really matters from a natural capital point of view is what's the balance sheet look like what are the assets what are the state of the assets what are the enhancements of those assets and what two are the liabilities liabilities like cleaning up the nuclear waste liabilities like the chemicals deposited in the in the silts in our rivers uh, liabilities like uh, the chemical buildup in our soils liabilities like the loss of, of carbon so all of those things should show up on a balance sheet and if you want to know whether we're meeting our 25-year goal actually the national balance sheet for natural capital has to be higher in a generation's time than it is now and if you want to know whether a company is being a good steward of the natural capital under its control you want to look at their balance sheet and see what comes out so current cost accounting not historic uh, modern equivalent assets not necessarily the current physical assets capital maintenance balance sheets this is the hard stuff of natural capital uh, and natural capital approach to the environment and this is why it's so different from soft and uh, greenwashable concepts like sustainability so how do you do it well if you're a farm if you're a business um, even your country what you have to do is start with the fundamentals of your business so you have to have a list of your assets including your natural capital then you have to identify which bits of your natural capital are close to the thresholds uh, particularly the renewable natural capital at risk of going under of nature no longer being able to provide them for free you have to work out the safe limits for those assets and you have to work out the upside benefits the net present values from enhancements this is all the stuff that we covered in earlier lectures then you have to put those assets on your balance sheet of course valuation is tricky it's difficult and practically what you have to do is work out what the deprival value is what would happen if you didn't have those assets you then have to work out whether that configuration of assets is the optimum one for your business and in particular how that asset uh, set of assets might change through time they will be on your balance sheet and you need to work out how to maintain the value on that balance sheet through time and you have to look at the liabilities and work out how you're going to address them then you have to provide capital maintenance and subtract that as an operating cost from your revenue line and then you can declare your sustainable profit for the business having met the objective of maintaining the value of your assets through time in perpetuity and that's exactly what ONS is up to in creating national natural capital accounts and that should be the outcome in 220 when we're supposed to have proper green accounts and that's what every farm every landowner every water company uh, every major manager of natural capital in this country should be doing do that get those answers clear shine a torch on what's really going on and we will have made massive progress in the hard uh, numbers accounting and in identifying the hard things that have to be done to make our environment a better place for future generations and of course we have a moral obligation to do that so think about your accountant having a moral obligation to do it properly that would be a great step forward thank you very much